Amen. All right. Get your Bibles out or your phones. We are wrapping up the book of Ephesians today. Now we started Ephesians verse by verse. I think it was last September. (laughs) So we've been going for several months now, but there's so many things we can mine from it and we can learn from it and being equipped and empowered from it. So let's finish this up. I love doing the end of, uh, the, the chapters like this or the end of books like this, because sometimes we just kind of read through it at the end. It's kind of the conclusion. And we already know, you know, most of the stuff we think. So we just kind of brush through to the end. But there's so much meat here at the end that we need to mine from this today, too. So uh, Ephesians chapter six and verse 18, it says, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim claim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I might declare it boldly as I ought to speak. There's that word ambassador. How many of you guys believe that we are ambassadors for Christ? That we are ambassadors. Now, what does an ambassador mean? Well, the definition of ambassador is this. It's a diplomatic official of the highest rank sent by one sovereign or state to another as its resident representative. Let that just kind of carry some weight this morning. We are representatives of heaven to this planet. We are representatives of God himself. That's what the scripture is implying here, that we're an ambassador of, of heaven and of God to people and to this planet everywhere that we go. Now, I want you to catch the, the gravity of this statement, because when we pray the Lord's prayer, what do we pray? We say on earth, as it is in heaven. Whoa. Really think about this. Think about what heaven is like. We are actually to pray, to expect, to believe, and to demonstrate heaven right now, wherever we're at. Do you actually believe that? Or is that just a prayer that we pray? Think about little pieces of heaven being demonstrated and played out here on the planet. That's an insane prayer, isn't it? And yet we are called to pray it, to believe it, to receive it, and to act upon it. Does anybody want a little bit of heaven here and now? Would anybody like that? I mean, Revelation talks about heaven and earth coming together, but we're supposed to see pieces of that now and to get a taste of that now. It's like, I mean, just, this is the only way I can imagine it. Imagine if over on 152, we have all these businesses coming in, 152 highway over here, and all these franchises coming in. Imagine if God put a, franch, a heaven franchise over on 152. And you could walk into the franchise and it would be heaven. I mean, you could walk into it and you walk right back out of it. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about experiencing heaven here on earth. How many of you guys would go to that place? You go to that place. If you could walk in and experience heaven on earth right here, right now. How do we even wrap our minds around what this would be like? I mean, God putting a franchise on the planet of what heaven is like. The closest thing we can come to this is Krispy Kreme donuts, people. This is the closest thing. Because you walk in there, it's just heavenly. I mean, it's, it's almost magical. It's like, it's the closest thing we've got to understanding what it's like. My, my kids, whenever we go on vacation, we were just in Branson a few weeks ago, and they want to go to Krispy Kreme. It's kind of like this thing that we have. And when we're driving by Krispy Kreme, what are we looking for? Can anybody tell me? We're looking for the hot sign to be on, right? We're looking for the hot sign to be on. Because when you walk in and the hot sign is on, you know it's just melt in your mouth. I mean, it is just the closest thing that we have to a heaven franchise here on earth. That's the way I look at it. I mean, I think that either God gave us Krispy Kreme or it was the aliens. I'm not sure which. 
but it's, it's out of this world. And so, uh, but God wants us to have, God wants to have heaven franchises here on the planet, all over the planet. Do you realize that? It's called you and me. We are to be walking heaven franchises on this planet. In other words, we are carriers of the culture and the presence of heaven wherever we go. In the book of Acts, if I'm to jump over there real quick, in the book of Acts, it's like, this was like a picture of heaven on earth. I mean, we could see things happening. And this, this scripture, passage of scripture, is a famous passage of scripture, but it's really been stirring on the inside of me again, alive on the inside. And anybody who would walk by the early church, it's like they walked by and the hot sign was on. They're saying, man, Something is going on in there. So let's read this again and get the picture. You might even close your eyes and just picture what this was like. But the hot sign was on on this heaven franchise. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day, those who were being saved. If you walk by the early church in that moment in Acts chapter two, especially if you back up to the beginning of the chapter, it would be like a window into heaven. The power of God was just on display. It's like the hot sign was on and people were attracted to it. How many of you guys want a little bit of heaven here on earth? It's going to happen inside of you and me. God literally wants his kingdom in heaven to extend through us and in us to this earth. That's how he's designed it. He wants us to be vessels and conduits to be an extension of his kingdom in heaven. Now, why don't we see this more? Why don't we see this happen more? Because we want to see it happen more. I think at least we say we want to. Well, the problem, I believe, is found in the three types of people that Jesus hung out with. Jesus hung out with three different types of people. Now, I, I'm going to help illustrate this, and I'll take you to an illustration via, via video here in just a second, but I just want you to, just to warn you, I'm going to shoot straight in this video, and you might as well buckle up your seatbelt, because when I haven't preached for a couple weeks, you better look out, okay, because it's coming. But it's truth, and I believe that if we can get this right, and we can start stripping away some of the things that are holding us back from actually becoming heaven franchises here on this planet, we're going to see God do amazing things. So let's roll it. Three types of people that Jesus hung out with. The first type are people we call disciples. These were followers of Jesus. They started to follow after Jesus. They were doing the stuff. They were uh, healing the sick. They were there feeding the 5,000. The, you know, Jesus got frustrated with them at times, but he was still doing life with them. Why? Because they were building the kingdom together. The second type of person that Jesus hung out with is the people that Jesus himself called lost. They were sinners. They were in need of a savior. People like Zacchaeus who went up in a tree just to see Jesus. Jesus went to his house and said, I'm going to hang out with you. I'm going to have supper with you. I'm going to share a meal with you. People like the woman at the well who was full of sin in her life. And yet Jesus made time out of his schedule to talk with her, to minister to her, to give her a cool drink of living water. People like Nicodemus who said, what can I do to be saved? These were the type of people that Jesus hung out with. So I want you to just imagine with me for just a moment. Use your imagination. I'm here at Overflow Coffee, which is getting ready to open up next uh, 
couple weeks, and so you got to go come check it out. Uh, but just imagine with me this scene here of, of behind the counter, we have our disciples. We have people who are building the kingdom, people who are serving together, people who are in the fields, in the trenches, working together. They may be doing different things, different tasks. Somebody might be making coffee over here. Somebody might be stocking shelves over there, but they're in it to serve hungry and thirsty people. And hungry and thirsty people are out there. So I want you to imagine that there are tables all over the place here, and they're just filled with the second type of people that Jesus hung out with, the lost people. And also imagine with me that these people haven't ate or drank anything for like two whole days. And so when they come in, they are hungry and they're thirsty. And whatever you put in front of them, they're just, it's going to taste amazing. It's going to be uh, powerful. It's, I mean, they are here to taste and see that the Lord is good. And so they come in and it's like a cool drink of water from the desert and they're drinking it up. Now you say, but Pastor Sean, you said there were three types of people. You've only mentioned two types of people. So where's the third type of person? Well, the third type of person that Jesus hung out with are what we call Pharisees. Now, Jesus hung out with these people in the Bible. He hung out with them a lot. The problem is when he hung out with them, he was usually rebuking them all the time. And so he hung out with them. These were the people who were the know-it-alls. These people knew exactly how things were to be done. They weren't out there handing out the the bread and the fish for the 5,000. But if they were there, you bet they had an opinion exactly how it ought to be done. They weren't there healing the sick, but man, they sure had an opinion about exactly how it ought to be done. So who are these people in our day? Well, in our day, these people are consumer Christians. These people are the people who, man, the, the armchair quarterbacks, we know exactly how things ought to be done. We know exactly, I mean, I, I'm here to be served. I'm sure not here to serve, but I got an opinion about exactly how you ought to be serving. And, and these people, I mean, man, they're all throughout our church. And so and on our scene here, where would they be? Are they gonna be behind the counter? No, they're not behind the counter. They're actually sitting at the tables, ready to be served. This is odd because why are they out at the tables? Well, because they didn't want to go back there and get the training with the other people. They didn't want to rub shoulders that close with other people. They didn't want to be a part of the culture that was behind the counter. They didn't want to be a part of the, they didn't want to go home with the family and have to live out life together. They, They didn't want to be told what to do by somebody else. They didn't want to come under some other structure or other, uh, other group of people. They wanted to just be served. And so there they are. The interesting thing is, though, they still went on the Internet. They bought themselves the, uh, the official uniform that was back there, the Jehovah Jireh family business uniform. And they put on the name tag. They put on the hat and they went and they sat in the seat just to be served. So it's an odd picture. Now, these consumer Christians aren't like the lost. They're not like starving and hungry for a meal. In fact, all these consumer Christians do is eat. They just fill themselves up. And so they show up to be served, but they're already full. And since they're already full, you become really picky when you're already full, don't you? I mean, if you go to a restaurant and you're already full and you order something, you're really particular about, man, this is really what I'm feeling. If you're starving, you don't care. Just give me food. But if you're full, man, I'm going to pick exactly what I'm feeling for today. And so that's what they do. If they don't like it, they send it back. They say, that's not the way it's supposed to be for me. Now, why is this a problem? Well, several reasons why this is a problem, but here's the biggest reason, I believe. The mission field was never intended to be consumer Christians. Let me say that again. The mission field was never intended to be consumer Christians. And yet so many disciples are spending all of their time serving 
consumer Christians. So many pastors and churches are spending so much time and resources serving consumer Christians when really what we're supposed to be doing is building the kingdom of God, of discipling other people and reaching out to the lost. I know for me as a pastor, I spend way too, just be honest, I spend way too much time with consumer Christians. I have way too many meetings with consumer Christians. Uh, Really, my time should be somewhere else. And so there's the three types of people, disciples who are building the kingdom, people who are lost and need a savior and consumer Christians. And so, so what do we do? What you might be saying, well, well, Sean, you know, I may not be serving, but I'm not like the person you're describing. The reason why I'm not behind the counter is because I used to be behind the counter. And when I was behind the counter, I got used, I got abused, I got hurt and I just am not going to go through that again. I'm not, I, I'm not a consumer Christian. I, I just have been hurt. And I would say, you know, that, that's, I understand that, and I get that. And there's so many people who could tell you that story about their life and their experience as well. But here's the reality that we've got to understand. You see, spiritual maturity is never about trying to live pain-free. Spiritual maturity is really about the ability to increase our pain threshold, not to become numb to pain, but to be able to absorb what pain comes our way and to love above the pain. To be able to love, see, real spiritual maturity is able to love above the pain. It's able to get back behind the counter and to be able to serve and get in the trenches once again. So how do you know if you are a disciple or if you're a consumer Christian? How do you know? I think the way that we know is by the way we look at problems. And so let me just give you an example. So as you guys are, you know, we'll we'll sing the song here. We'll pray the prayer. We'll get done with this service. Everybody will get up and you'll begin to walk out that door right there behind you. Now, here's the thing about that door back there. It's just one door. And we've got all these people who, who have to get out that door and people coming in the door as well. And so what happens at the end of every service? Man, it is going to be a long wait. I'll just prepare you. If, you, if this is your first time here, it's going to take you a while to get out that door because there's so many people and there's only one door. But let me tell you, we, we don't have a one-door problem. You see, one door isn't our problem. See, our, our problem is, is that we come in and we're in such a hurry to get back out. We come in, we get fed, we get served, and we want to rush right back out. And because we're in such a hurry to get in and to get out, really the one door is not our problem. What we really have is we have a community problem. We have a fellowship problem. You see, because if everybody wasn't trying to rush in and rush out, if if people were willing to linger and to be able to have conversations and to be able to encourage one another, that listen, we don't have a one door problem. We have a fellowship problem. We have a community problem. You see, let, let me give you another example. Somebody might say, well, well, but Pastor Sean, I really do want to get involved. I really want to get behind the counter and I want to start working. The problem is that, that there's, no, uh, there's no spot for me to use my gift. You know, I want to get involved. I feel like I got a preaching gift, but you, you, it looks like you already got that taken care of. So I can't preach here. You say, well, well Pastor Sean, I, 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 I do solos. That's what I do. That's my ministry. I do solos for offerings. And you guys don't have solos for offerings. I, you don't sing solos for offerings. So... I can't use my spiritual gift here or whatever it is. You don't have this type of ministry that I think a church ought to have that I can serve in. Listen, we don't have a lack of ministry opportunity problem here. What we have is a lack of a servant's heart problem. And and here's, I I know I'm being really, really tough today, but, but here's the thing. You see, we have, we have slots for people. You know, we've got a spot at the 6 PM service for the nursery. You know, you say, well, I, I don't do 
Sunday service. I don't do Sunday night service because, you know, the Bible says that Sunday morning is the only time you can have church, right? Uh, I don't do Sunday PM services and, or I don't do kids. I, I have kids and, and I show up to church just so I can take a break from my kids and so I can have free babysitting. And so I'm not going to come to church and to serve uh, in the kids area because that's not my gift. Listen, that's not how we act in families, is it? That's not how we act when we're in the family business. You know, we have, I, I get that you have certain callings on your life, but listen, when you're at, at home and you're around the dinner table, everybody picks up their plate and everybody do, helps do the dishes or takes a turn. And so we, we don't have certain pro- problems on the surface may seem a certain way, but listen, your, your spiritual growth will be measured by how you can see what a problem actually is and what it actually isn't. And so here we are, the three types of people. Here's the big question. Which side of the counter are you on? You see, if we are going to be heaven franchises, if we are going to represent the kingdom of God here on this planet and on this earth, then we have to start looking like we're from the right kingdom. Not the kingdom of self, but the kingdom of heaven. We have to be on the right side of the counter. So which one are you? Are you you a disciple? Are you building the kingdom of God? Are you lost? If you're lost, man, we want to love you to Jesus today. Or are you a consumer? See, whichever one you are will determine what you do next. I don't know about you, but I want to be a kingdom of heaven franchise here on this planet. And to do that, I've got to roll up my sleeves and I've got to get to work. I've got to get behind the counter, rub shoulders with other believers, build disciples, and build the kingdom of God. Amen. I told you that guy was going to be rough. I told you. So how do we do this? How do we start to put this in play? Let me give you three quick thoughts here as we're, we're winding this up. Uh, first of all, we have to become a faithful copy. We have to become a faithful copy. When we look at heaven, when we look at the values, when we look at the, the uh, culture of heaven, we have to become that. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 21, so that you may know how I am doing and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother, and here it is, faithful. He's faithful. If you go and make a copy on a copy machine, if you have a faithful copy, it's going to what? It's going to look exactly like the original, okay? Faithful minister in the Lord will tell you everything. Again, God wants his kingdom in us to be uh, an extension of his kingdom from heaven. And the way my brain works, as we're talking about heaven franchises, I think the kingdom of God works like a Chick-fil-A franchise, because my kids work at Chick-fil-A. And so uh, I just think of it this way, and I think of of Chick-fil-A, it's the same experience wherever you are. If you are in any part of the country, most likely there may be slight variations, but if you go in to get a spicy chicken sandwich, am I making anybody hungry today? Spicy chicken sandwich and a waffle fries, it's going to most likely taste exactly the same no matter where you are in the country. You're going to have the same language even. They're going to say what? You got it. See, you got, they got you trained even, right? So you're going to have the same culture. You're going to have the same language. You're going to have the same taste. Many times it's the same look. It's the same logo. Why? Because they are faithful to the original and it looks the same. My, uh, we went on vacation to Branson a couple weeks ago and we went down and my kids wanted to stop at Chick-fil-A for whatever reason. So we stopped in at Chick-fil-A. They came, they went inside, they came back out and they said, you won't believe what they have at this Chick-fil-A. They have this brand new drink called a frosted sunrise. Have you guys ever had the frosted sunrise? It just came out. They said, it's not fair. Our Chick-fil-A back home doesn't have a frosted sunrise. And so we got back home from vacation. They went to Chick-fil-A. They said, we got a frosted sunrise. Why? Because they're all the same. See, because they are a faithful 
copy of the original. We ought to be walking heaven franchises. When people look into us, they ought to be able to see heaven. Amen. Okay, so Jesus said that he's the door. He's the door to what? The door, we could say he's the door to heaven. We could say he's the the door to the kingdom of God, to kingdom living, to kingdom power, to kingdom culture. Uh, The kingdom of God, we could say, is something that we enter into. Think back to King Saul in the Old Testament. Remember, King Saul was the first king of Israel. Now, King Saul began to get off the rails, though, didn't he? And he started to get, get a little bit crazy. And so God speaks to the prophet Samuel and tells Samuel that he needs to go and anoint another king, even though Saul is still king. So he directs him to the house of Jesse. He says, Jesse, bring all of your boys out here. Jesse brings all the boys except for one because he was the youngest and he was uh, out tending the sheep. And so he goes and he's looking to find somebody to anoint. And in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 6 and 7, it says, When they came, he looked at Eliab. That's the, the, the oldest. He says, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so they go through this whole process, bring David in. David's the youngest. He's just a teenager. They anoint David as king at that moment. And in that one sense, even though David didn't wear the crown yet, he entered into kingdom culture, kingdom living, kingdom responsibility from that moment. Why? Because he wasn't being appointed by men in that moment. He was being appointed by God. And so in that moment, he was, he was entering into kingdom living from that moment. 1 Samuel 16, verse 13 says, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And watch this. This is so key. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. It wasn't, the spirit of the Lord didn't come on him when he put the crown on. The spirit of the Lord rushed on him from that day forward. And so we could say at that moment, that's when kingdom rulership, that's when kingdom identity and kingdom culture actually entered into David himself. You see, there's a story where he gets a little bit older and Saul's hunting him down trying to kill him because he knows that David's going to be the next king. So Saul is hunting him down wrongfully. And there in a cave, Saul ends up by himself and David sneaks up behind him. And he has this opportunity where he could take out King Saul and stop this madness. But he doesn't do it. He steps back and he says, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. In other words, here's what was going on. David was acting more like a king in the cave than Saul was. Because David was the one that actually had kingdom identity and culture on the inside of him so that he would respect what what was happening in that moment. He had already entered the kingdom living. But listen to this. The kingdom is something you enter and it's also something that enters you. It's not just the externals. Don't look at the externals. We're so good at the externals, aren't we? We can show up to church. We can check the boxes. We can do the stuff. We can read the Bibles. We can do all this stuff for the externals. But if we don't have the internals, listen, we may have tried to walk through the door, but, but the kingdom hasn't entered us. And so that's what's going on here in this story. Now, Luke chapter 17, verse 20 and 21 says this. Now, when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and he said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. 
Now, here's the question, or here's really the the crux of the matter. The world you allow to be created on the inside of you will determine the level of influence you have on the outside of you. What's your internal like? How much of heaven is on the inside right now? What's the world, the world you allow to be created on the inside will determine the level of influence. You may be frustrated. You say, I don't see a lot of kingdom of heaven. I don't see a lot of heaven on earth happening around me. Well, listen, you will never see heaven on earth until you first see heaven on the inside. Let me say that again. You will never see heaven on earth until you first see heaven on the inside. And the world we allow to be created, not in the externals, but in the internals, determines where we go. And too many of us are living like in bizarro world, that's what I call it, bizarro world, where, where uh, we look the part on the outside, but the inside, it's the complete opposite. That We don't have the goods on the inside. It, it's, it's one thing on the outside, and it's uh, completely different on the inside. Now, you say bizarro world, where's that come from? Well, it comes from an old Seinfeld clip, which I'm about to show you. <laughs> it's bizarro world where you look the part on the outside, but you don't have the goods on the inside, so let's roll. Uh, here, I guess, and, uh, I went out and picked up a paper. I had to ask Kevin to leave his office and come and pick me up. Well, what are friends for? Yes, and he is a friend, Jerry. He's reliable. He's considerate. He's like your exact opposite. So he's Bizarro Jerry. Bizarro Jerry? Yeah, like Bizarro Superman. Superman's exact opposite. Who lives in the backwards, bizarro world? Up is down, down is up. He says hello when he leaves, goodbye when he arrives. Shouldn't he say bad-bye? Isn't that the opposite of goodbye? No, it's still goodbye. Does he live underwater? No. Is he black? Look, just forget the whole thing, all right? team of miniatures was amazing. No, he's so tiny. Hey, guys. Elaine, sit down. These are a couple of my friends. Uh, this is Gene, and this guy we just call Feldman. Hey, isn't that Elaine? Maybe she'd give me another picture of manheads. Elaine! 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 Hi! <laughs> Jerry, George, Kramer, this is Kevin, Jean, and Feldman. This is really weird. All right, so some of us are kind of like bizarro Christians, okay? We live in bizarro world where we look the part on the outside, but if we were to peer on the inside, we'd be the complete opposite, or at least not very close. And so uh, we were, again, we were in uh, Branson a couple weeks ago, and my kids went into Chick-fil-A. They came out, they came running out, and they said, Dad, it's bizarro Chick-fil-A. So what do you mean? We found every one of our counterparts from the Chick-fil-A in Liberty. They're all there, you know? And so, but some of us, we, we look the part on the outside, but we don't have the goods on the inside. Again, you won't experience heaven on earth until you experience heaven on the inside. To do this, though, we need number two, which is this. Boldness is required. Boldness. We have to have boldness to do this. Now, 
Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19 and 20 says, And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. If someone wants to start a franchise here in, in this area, what? They don't just get to go and just say, well, I want to start a Chick-fil-A franchise, so I'm going to just go and do it myself and just make it up and build whatever building I want to build. That's not how it works. They bring somebody in from corporate who comes in and trains them to make sure they have the right pieces, the right supply list, the right supply chains, the right logos, the right building decor, the right training systems, the right uniforms to replicate. They bring somebody in from corporate who's going to replicate the culture of headquarters into the local uh, spot here in Liberty, Missouri or wherever you're at. And you, you say, well, how does that apply to us? Well, listen, Jesus came. And he left some, he sent somebody from corporate headquarters, the Holy Spirit, to come and live on the inside of us. Why? So he can reproduce the right culture, the right language, the right, the right everything on the inside of us. How do you guys believe that that's true? See, whenever you get filled up with the Holy Spirit, what's happening there? It's replicating the culture of heaven on the inside of you. Some of us are living powerless lives because we have not invited the Holy Spirit from heaven to come and to reproduce the culture of heaven on the inside of us. So we're just like that franchisee who just wants to do it on our own. We look over and say, well, I don't like that about that, about what it looks like in heaven. I'm going to build my own version over here and still call it the same thing. And you guys know that doesn't work that way, does it? We invite the Holy Spirit and we say, Holy Spirit, what's your way? Holy Spirit, what's your culture? Holy Spirit, how would you do it in heaven? Holy Spirit, how does this work? Because he is our guide, he is our teacher, he is our comforter, he is where our boldness comes from. So I'd say if the Holy Spirit is here to establish heaven's culture in us, we should probably start with the fruit of the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit, right? Is anybody, am I talking to anybody who cares about this this morning at all? I'm just making sure you're still here. Because this, man, if we get this going on the inside of us, things are going to start to spill out of us. And in order to do this, I think we need to start using a certain word, and that is the word assume. Now, some of you think, well, whenever I use the word assume, it's never good. I assume things all the time, and it always gets me into trouble. But let me give you the definition of assume, because it is a powerful word. Listen to this. The first definition is this. Supposed to be the case without proof. Second definition, to take or begin to have power or responsibility. Assume. There are certain things that I pray every day, or at least almost every day. I have a certain list of things, and it's not like it's a ritual that I have to go through. It's just kind of part of the life as I think about, as I'm walking with God, it just kind of comes up. And it, these things just kind of reoccur. And one of the things that I pray most often, or most every day, is I ask God for wisdom. Because James chapter 1 tells me to ask God for wisdom. And if I ask God, what will he do? He will give it to me. But I don't need to be doubting because if I doubt and go back and forth, I'm like a ship tossed by the waves on the sea. But I'm supposed to ask for wisdom. And so here's how I'll do that. I'll go in the morning, possibly. I'll be thinking through my day. I'll know, man, I've got some tough decisions I have to make. I've got some tough conversations I have to have. I've got some you know, decisions I really have to make. God, I need your guidance. And you said that if I would ask you, that you would give me wisdom. So God, I just ask you for wisdom. And then here's what I do. I don't go up to every decision throughout the day and go back and say, God, can I have wisdom here? Why? Because I've already asked. Here's what I'll do. I'll just assume 
that every decision I make for the rest of the day is full of God's wisdom. I don't even question it. I just assume that every decision I'm making is full of God's wisdom. Why? Because I asked. I don't need to ask again. I trust. I just assume that God has already given me wisdom. You say, well, that may sound reckless. No, I think it's called faith. And so I just assume that God's decisions are coming through me. See, some of us, here's how it works out in this area. We need to just assume that heaven is in us. Assume that the book of Acts is happening on the inside of us. We ask for it. We invite it. We assume that the Holy Spirit is going to flow through us. We don't have to go up to somebody and wonder, okay, God, do I pray for this person or not? I felt the nudge. Is it going to work or not? No, you have the goods. The hot sign is on. It's going to work. I just assume it's going to happen because heaven is on the inside of me. Is anybody getting this this morning? Would anybody like to live that kind of lifestyle? Because that's what we're presented in Scripture. But to do that, we just have to drop our doubts and just simply assume that what God said is true. Assume that we've got the goods on the inside of us once we invite the Holy Spirit in. And assume that miracles are going to happen wherever we go. Assume that heaven is going to happen wherever we go. And when we do that, what's going to happen? Heaven is going to happen wherever we go. But if we're constantly second guessing, we're like the ship in the wind, just in the waves being tossed back and forth. That person isn't going to receive anything from God. That person isn't going to see heaven on earth. Assume that whenever you come into contact with lost people, that they have, it's like they have not eaten for two days. And what you have is a taste and see that the Lord is good. And they're just going to gobble it up because that God is that good. The gospel is true. And then finally, number three, if you do all this stuff, you're going to have to realize that we are here to be sent out. We're not here to just stay here. We're here to be sent out, to be given out. Uh, last, last scriptures here, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 22 through 24, says, I have sent, this is Paul, he says, I've sent him for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers in love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. We're getting ready to receive communion here as we close this service. I'm going to have to have the worship team come back up. And there's a beautiful picture in communion, in the story of communion or the Last Supper. There's a picture of what Jesus does to bread that I've always loved. It says that he took bread and then he blessed the bread and then he broke the bread and then he gave the bread. He took the bread, he blessed the bread, he broke the bread and then he gave the bread. And I believe in this action is, if we have eyes to see it, is a picture of what God does with us. How many of you guys have been just taken by Jesus? Can you remember back to the time? Maybe for some of you it's real recent. Maybe for some of you it hasn't happened yet. But for some of you it may be a long, long time ago. Can you go back to the moment when you were first taken by this whole story of Jesus, by the power and presence of God? When you first surrendered your heart to Jesus, can you just remember back to that moment when he took you? And man, all of your sins were just washed away. The grace of God just flooded in. The peace that you felt in that moment was unlike anything you'd ever experienced before because it was a supernatural peace. How many of you guys are so, so thankful for the grace of God that you've been taken by Jesus? How many of you guys have been blessed by Jesus? 
And we can think of natural blessings, but man, how many of the spiritual blessings that we have in high play? It talks about all the spiritual inheritance that we have, that we're sons and daughters of God, that the grace of God flows freely in our life. And we can count blessing after blessing after blessing in our life. The problem is most of us just stop at being taken by Jesus and blessed by Jesus. But there's still two more things. You see, after Jesus takes us and blesses us, most likely there's going to be some things in us that need to be broken off of us. And most of us want to live pain-free. We don't really want to grow. And so we just stop at being blessed. And anytime we start leaning in where we can feel the breaking happen, we back up and say, no, I'm already full. Today, I want to invite you to just allow that breaking process. If there are things in you that just need to be broken off of you, just say, God, break my heart for what breaks yours. Break off anything in my life that doesn't belong there. Lord, break off anything on the inside that's hindering heaven from rushing in and filling it up. And then finally, once you've been broken and those things have been broken off, then you can finally be given out. So many of us want to be given out without the breaking off. And today, as we get ready to come to the table, what we're doing is we're reminded of the, the broken body. We're reminded of the blood that was spilled for us. We're reminded of the blessing. We're reminded of the taking. We're, we're also invited to become a part of the breaking in us so that we can be given out. And so as we receive communion today, come to the table, be reminded of the victory. Yes, so many times we're, we're so excited about Easter Sunday, but there's still a good Friday in between, isn't there? And as we enter into that, we just come and we say, God, I want to have a death, burial, and resurrection in me today. If there's some things in you that need to die and break off, man, come to the table and just say, God, I'm here to remember, but I'm also a participant in something that's going to happen by faith as we do this today. So would you stand up with me as we get ready to pray? Here's what we're going to do. There's tables in in front and tables behind you. And after I pray, and they're, they're going to sing a song, and you can come to one of these tables and grab the elements and take them back to your seat. And just right there in your seat, take a moment with you and God and just say, God, break off anything on the inside of me. I want to become a heaven franchise. Is there anything that's hindering this? God, I want, I want revival to happen on the inside of me. Listen, before revival is going to happen in the earth, it's got to happen inside of us. And what I'm looking at here are a couple hundred potential heaven franchises that are going to go out and carry heaven wherever they go. But it's got to happen on the inside of us. It's got to happen here first. We've got to allow the Spirit of God to stir us up, to remind us of our first love, to say, God, is there anything of me on the inside? See, the the world we allow to be created on the inside determines the level of influence we'll have on the outside. And if you aren't seeing much of heaven on earth in front of you, it's probably because there's not a lot of heaven on the inside. So we come and we, we take a moment, we say, Holy Spirit, flood my soul again, flood my heart again. Lord, break my heart again. Re- rearrange the pieces on the inside. So Lord, we come to you. We come by faith to the table. We're reminded of the blood that was spilled for us. We're reminded of the body that was broken for us. We're reminded of your victory over sin and your victory over the grave. And Lord, we believe that since you've done that, 
that, that you can also have a victory over our grave on the inside of us. And anybody here who has something that needs broken off, we are so thankful that your power is still alive today. It's still at work today. And there's nothing that's too big for you. So Lord, we come to the table by faith. We come expecting. We come believing that something's gonna happen as we come by faith, as a point of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, let's receive.